Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. We live in a culture here that that promotes debt, that wants us to be in debt, push to the limit, have what we want, when we want it, no matter what the cost. Ten years ago, our finances were paycheck to paycheck. There was stress around every financial decision we made. Uh, We had no plan. If something major had happened, it would have been a disaster. We would have had to turn to a credit card, first of all, because we had no savings to cover any major disaster. I think um, living like that paycheck to paycheck makes you feel um, insecure and worried. You don't know what's going to happen the next month. If if an emergency comes up, how how we're going to pay for it. And then every month as he paid the bills, it was uh, it was stressful because you know, you never knew how much that credit card bill was going to be when you opened it up and if there would be enough money to cover it that month. If you turn if you turn to a credit card to help you out of the the latest uh, need, want, disaster, crisis, whatever, uh, you're just going deeper into debt. Financial peace helped us. Uh, it gave us a common sense approach to handling our finances, uh, uh, following God's word on how to handle finances in simple, easy to follow steps that we knew as soon as we saw, as soon as we were in that class and saw how to do it, that we could do that. We could follow these steps and and it would solve our financial problems. Uh, it's not, the class is not there to make somebody rich. It's there to handle the money that God has given you to handle. Today, I'm going to share with you those steps. I'm going to share with you God's plan for financial freedom. So good to see all of you here today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm Tony Walliser, one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I get the privilege of sharing with you God's Word each week. So this is what I want you to do. Go and take your Bibles, turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Proverbs. It's right in the middle of the Old Testament. book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. You want wisdom? Turn to the book of Proverbs. And most, in fact, all of our passages that we're going to be looking at today come from the book of Proverbs. And then you can do this. Also, take out your Bible study outlines. They're found right here in the center of, you know, this little outline here. And you can follow along and take notes. And, um, and believe me, today's a day that you're going to want to take notes. Why? Because this is probably the most practical message I've given you in the I Will series. For the last five weeks, we've looked at this series, I Will. Five decisions that will change your life. And every one of these decisions are critical, and I believe they are life-changing. And you go, why is this so important? Because the person you are today is because of the decisions you made yesterday. And the person you're going to become tomorrow is all based on the decisions that you will make today. So I will make these right decisions, and if you will, they'll radically change your life. Well, today's message is probably the most practical of all, because today what we're going to learn is I will manage my money wisely. How do you, you know, manage your money wisely? 
Did you know the Bible speaks a great deal about your money? I mean, in the Bible, there's about 500 verses that talk about prayer in the Bible. There's about 500 verses that talk about faith in the Bible. But did you know there's 2,500 verses in the Bible that talk about money? Yeah, 2,500 verses. You go, why? Because God is very practical. He knows where you live, and he wants to help you with your finances. Now, a lot of us were like, well, I know what would help me in my finances, more money. That's what would help me in my finances, right? In fact, um, Money Magazine did a survey of Americans, all strata, socioeconomic, rich, poor, middle class, and they asked them all the same question. Do you make enough money? Do you have enough money? And the universal answer was no. No, I do not have enough money. And then they asked, how much money do you need? And it was about 20%. Rich people said, we need about 20%. Poor people said, we need about 20%. Middle class said, we need about 20%. If we could just get 20% more, then we'd be happy, then we'd be set. Do you understand what they're saying? You never are going to have enough. See, here's a basic principle. Your yearning power will always exceed your earning power. Let me say that again. Your yearning power will always exceed your earning capability. And so you better come up with a plan to manage your money. Because you know what? You're always going to want more than what you have. So look at what the Bible says about that. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, God's word says this. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit. But anyone who's reckless certainly becomes poor. So if you follow God's plan, it will lead to profit. But if you are reckless with your finances, you're going to be poor. And so what does God do? God gives you four principles in his word to help you how to manage your money. And you've got to do all four of them. Can't pick and choose. You got to do all four of these principles if you want God's blessings and you want God's favor and you want profit in your finances. So I want you to jot them down there on your outline. We've provided it there for you. Number one, first principle step to financial freedom is this you need to spend conservatively. Spend conservatively. That means you don't need to be spending your money recklessly. Look what it says Proverbs 21 20 says this precious treasure. And oil are in the dwelling of the wise, a wise person, but a fool consumes them. In your outline, circle, a fool consumes. That could summarize today's message. You know, the fact is, is that we have money, and what do we do? We waste it. We spend it. We, we think, well, I don't have enough money. Well, the fact is, you probably do. In fact, I would imagine that almost every one of you have enough money. I know there's exceptions here, but most of you here today have enough money. The question is, are you spending it correctly? And so how do you spend conservatively? Two principles. Number one is this. First of all, stop the buying. Stop buying. That's it. Stop buying. You go, what do you mean stop buying? Well, you see, here's the deal. In America, the idol that we have in America is materialism. I mean, we want more. We desire more. We're, our whole economy is built on, okay, us acquiring and getting more stuff. Why is that? Because that's become our idol. That's become our God. You see, there's this internal dissatisfaction we have with life. And we think, if I could just get some more stuff, then I'd be happy, right? And so, you get a little depressed. Well, you know what? Let me go shopping. You have a rough day. Hey, why don't we just eat out? You have a, you know, a rough evening. Well, you know what? I'll just do a little shopping online. 
And so what do we do? We keep buying more. But you need to answer a simple question. How much is enough? How much stuff is enough? You ready for the answer? Less than what you have right now. It is. The rest of the world longs for just a portion of the stuff that we have. You go, I don't have enough. Well, let me ask this. Are your closets all empty? Is your garage empty? Do you have a storage shed? I bet you do. Then guess what? You have more than enough. You do. In fact, the problem is, is that we've created a generation, and I'm a part of it, that doesn't know how to say no to its cravings and its desires. I mean, I grew up in a very poor home. I mean, my dad was an immigrant who, he didn't speak English when he came to America. He eventually learned. Um, married my mom, who was a high school dropout um, in South Georgia. My, my dad worked two jobs and went to night school to get ahead. You know, my mom was a migrant farmhand. She picked fruit in Florida so that we would have um, clothes to wear. In elementary school, I never got any new clothes. Everything that we wore was from the Goodwill. We never had any new furniture. It was always from the Goodwill. We never bought a new car. First time I remember going out to eat, I was in high school. I can remember, you know, our farm did well one year, and so Dad took the whole family out to Red Lobster, and I thought, oh my goodness, this has got to be the classiest restaurant that's ever been made, right? And I looked at the menu and go, Dad, how in the world are we going to afford this? Why? Because I'd seen my parents scrimp and save for everything they had, right? So that I wouldn't do without. They scrimped and saved, and yet what happened is, is they raised a generation, including me, that we think that we don't have enough. And we don't know how to say no. We don't know how to sacrifice. We don't know how to say, you know what? I've got enough. I don't need any more. Will you have enough? Stop buying. Okay? Second principle, if you're going to spend conservatively, is this. Ready? Jot this down. Start budgeting. You need to start the budgeting. You need to come up with a plan. You need a budget that is written out and set in stone. This is what is coming in, this is what's going out, and I will live and spend based on my budget. Now, our church offers a class. That's what the Davises were talking about, the Financial Peace University with Dave Ramsey. Through the years, hundreds of our church members, overwhelmed with debt, would go through this study and would radically change their world. Not that they get more money. No, they just know how to spend the money based on a budget. You go, why is a budget so important? Why can't I just spend as, as we think necessary? Well, the simple fact is, is that a budget keeps you from impulse buying. USA Today did a study of Americans, and 9 out of 10 of us are impulse buyers. You go, what does that mean? That means we see something, we want it, we got to have it, and so we buy it. And so, but if you've got a budget... And it's black and white. This is what comes in, and this is the only thing we're spending money on. Guess what? It will curb your appetite. It will stop you when you can't say no to yourself. Your budget will say no to you. Now, why is it so hard for us to say no to buying stuff? Simply this. It's not just the stuff we need. It's the feeling we get when we buy this stuff. Let me put it like this. When you go to the mall to buy new clothes... You're not just going there to buy new clothes. You're in search of the happy feeling you get when you get new clothes. And you put on that new 
clothes and you go, ooh, don't I look good? I'm sharp, right? I mean, why is it that you trade in your old cell phone for that new cell phone? It's not that it doesn't work. No, oh, that's last year's technology. I need the newest, the best, the grandest, right? I mean, listen to me. Your brain will become the greatest salesman you've ever met. And it will convince you that you need it and you need it now, right? I mean, why is it that you'll trade in a perfectly good car for a brand new car? Well, we'll lie to ourselves. We'll go, well, I mean, that old car was just eating us alive with gas mileage. Really? So you bought an SUV for gas mileage? And your car payments went up $200? I don't think you spend that much on gas. Right? We lied ourselves. Why would we come up with things like that? Because we don't want to admit, well, the real reason I bought a new car is because it's new and it smells better. Right? That's it. Okay? And so we become, you know, convinced of our brain we've got to have these things. And if your brain can't come up with a lie to convince you to buy something, our society will. They'll say, 0% financing. I mean, you know what? No money down. It's now more affordable than ever. You deserve this. And what does your budget do? Your budget says, no. You can only spend it on these things. And so you need to stop the buying and start a budget. You need a budget. If you don't have a budget, you're wasting money. If, let me say it again. If you do not have a budget, you are wasting money. And so how do you write this budget? Well, there's three principles there. The first one is this. If you live above your income, that's going to lead to bankruptcy. You live above your income, that means there's more money going out than what's coming in. Eventually, what's going to happen? They're going to come and they're going to haul away all your junk, right? That's bankruptcy. Second principle is you live at your income, that's bondage. That's bondage. You're living paycheck to paycheck, that's bondage, that's stressful, that's not where God wants you to be. No. What happens if, you know, some accident happens? What if you lose your job? You're in trouble if that's the way you've been living your life. And so what do you got to do? You got to live below your income. That's the blessing. Live below your income. That you've got less going out than what's actually coming in. If you could live that way on your budget, it's amazing how freeing and liberating. There's no stress in finances when you live that way. You go, well, Pastor Tony, what happens if we do our budget and we discover there's more going out than what's coming in? That's when you've got to sacrifice. That's when you've got to cut. You, you look around your house and find the things that you haven't used in a year and sell them. Right? You probably didn't need to buy them in the first place. Or you look at the luxuries and you cut back. Maybe you cut out cable. <gasps> or maybe, you know, at least cut back. Or that, that cell phone plan, cut it back. Or maybe you trade in your car and get a car you can afford. Or maybe you sell your house and move into a neighborhood that is actually closer to your income. Folks, we got to start acting our wage. Let me say that again. It's time for you to start acting your wage. So you need to spend conservatively. Second biblical principle God gives us is this. Jot this down. You need to borrow very carefully. Borrow carefully. Just don't go into debt. Don't put things on credit because you want it. No, you need to borrow very carefully. Money Magazine wrote about a story of Michael and Cynthia Proctor. Um, they said that they didn't ask for their first credit card. It came to them in the mail. They were, at the time, they were 35 years old, lived in Huntsville, Texas. 
Okay, brought home $56,000 a year from his job, Texas Department of Corrections. Her job is the Huntsville, Huntsville um, National Bank. She said, you know what? We just use our credit card for those things that caught our fancy. And, you know, we could always make the minimum payment. And whenever one credit card would fill up its limit, we would just simply get another one. And that's the way they did their finances. And whatever caught their fancy, well, that's what they spent money with, you know, with their credit card. Three years later, this is what they discovered. This is what they discovered three years later. That they had, listen to this, $68,000 of debt on 43 credit cards. Every one of them was past due. They were getting threatening letters and phone calls almost every day. Do you know what the plague is of our society? It's debt. See, we think it's normal. We think it's acceptable. Just because everybody in our culture goes in debt doesn't mean God is okay with debt. It's not wise. I mean, think about it. We've got a government debt. It just turned $22 trillion. That's an astronomical number. Do you get this? We can never pay that off. Our country will collapse before we could ever pay that off. It's the same way, you know, personal debt on credit cards is $1 trillion. How about this, younger generation? School loans, $1.5 trillion. You're mortgaging your future. I mean, the fact is, is that we think that debt is acceptable. It is not acceptable to God. It is foolishness to God. In fact, look at what the Bible says. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, God says this, the borrower is a slave to the lender. In your outline, circle the word slave there. You go, I ain't nobody's slave. Well, if you owe somebody money and you're paying interest on it, you're somebody's slave. And your life is dictated based on that debt. And so what do we do? You know what? We, we've got to realize, hey, I've got to learn to take this stuff under control. Now, why is it? Why do we go into debt like this? Well, God tells us, reveals our heart. Look at it. It's found in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7. One person pretends to be rich, but has nothing. In your outline, circle the word pretends. You know what that's saying? That's saying that a lot of people around us, they look like they've got a lot of stuff. They look like they're really rich, and they're fooling us. We look at them and go, oh my goodness, look at their house, look at those cars, look at what they dress. I mean, golly, they must be rich. They're not rich. They're fooling you. They're not rich at all. They're pretending to be rich. I mean, what's going on? Well, we drive on bond finance roads in our GMAC finance cars, and our gas in our cars are financed through our credit card. And we go to get furniture and we finance it through rooms to go. And we put it in our you know, house that it's financed by the bank. I mean, we're, we're, we're financed. Everything we got is financed. We think that we're rich. We're not. We're actually in debt. Now you go, but look at them. They must be prosperous. They're not prosperous. They're, they're in debt to their ears. And they're going to drown. And it only takes one little mistake and it all comes crumbling down. You go, but, but, but i got to keep up with the Joneses, whoever they are. You know what i got to say? Let the Joneses win, right? Live according to God's principles, not the world's principles. Let me tell you the story of Ron and Diane. They were married for five years, and um, they love Jesus, love each other. 
and they're like, you know what? It's time for us to um, get a new house. And they had this dream home they imagined, and they got land, and, and they're like, okay, we're going to build this. And, and it, was, it was more expensive than what they imagined. And then, of course, as they were building it, it just even exploded the cost even more. And so they're like, okay, well, we got to do this, and, and this is our dream home. And so, so they're like, okay, we can, we can financially make it all work. If everything works together, we can all make it, you know, come together. And then, um, you know, they're like, okay, we got this brand new house. Well, we got to furnish it. So they, they put new furniture in the house, and that was all financed through the credit card. And, of course, they had a little additional stuff they wanted to add. They had to make sure the landscaping in the front and back was done. Of course, the fence. They wanted to finish out in, you know, the garage. And then... As the bills start coming in and the, the, the monthly mortgage, they're just overwhelmed by this debt. And so Ron goes, okay, you know what? I need to um, get another job. And so he's working about 55 hours a week and she's working 40 hours a week. And now they have this beautiful show place home and they're never there. They're always working. I mean, they come there to sleep and, you know, choke down a breakfast real quick and bathe. But then they're off to work to pay for this big mortgage that they've got. And um, then, praise God, well, you know, Diane gets pregnant, and they're excited by that. But you know what? A baby, that's extra cost and extra expense, and child care is expensive, and, and what are they going to do? And so, you know, it's even more energy coming out and, and less time together. And next thing you know, their marriage is falling apart. Why? Because they had to have the American dream home. Do you understand Satan's got this set up because he wants you a slave to debt. He wants you a slave to debt. Listen to me. God's given you a job. You work hard for that money. Why in the world would you give all that money away in interest to some bank? God wants you to have that money and use it. It makes absolutely no logical financial sense why we would keep going in debt the way we do. I mean, when I was... In college, I worked my way through college by selling um, new Chevy trucks. And so people would come in and they'd say, we, we want to trade. And they have a new vehicle. It's, you know, two or three years old. And I said, okay, let me, you know, get it appraised, see what it appraises for. And almost universally, I'd get the vehicle appraised and they would owe more money on the vehicle they're trading in than what it's actually worth. It's called being upside down. You go, how does that happen? It's very simple. You know, as soon as you drive off the new car on the lot, it has depreciated 20%. And if you didn't put 20% down or more, then you're going to owe more on your vehicle than what it's actually worth. And so they're like, okay, what are we going to do? How can we do it? And, and they go, well, how about if we just put all that debt from the previous car onto the new car loan? Does that make sense? Now, listen to me. Financers, they'll do that all day long. If you're stupid enough to do that, they'll do it, Right? You know, there's a general rule. If you're in a hole, quit digging, right? You're in debt, quit digging. You need to learn to get on the right side of interest instead of the wrong side. Okay, what does that mean? Well, let me put it like this. Let's just say you got a credit card. You got $2,000 debt on that credit card. And you're like, okay, I'm going to do what Pastor Tony said. I'm not going to spend any more money, $2,000 on a credit card. And you can make the minimum payments. And so you start making the minimum payments. Okay, typical credit card, 18% interest. How long will it take you to pay off that $2,000 if you just pay the minimum balance? You know what it is? Is it five years? Nope. 10 years? Nope. 15 years? 20, 25 years? No, 30 years. 
360 months, and at the end of it, you will have spent $9,000 of interest on $2,000 of stuff that you purchased with that credit card. Does that make logical sense to anybody here? Of course not. Now, you get on the correct side of interest. You take that $2,000 and you put it in an IRA. And you know what happens? It's called the rule of 72. Every 10 years, that money doubles. So in 10 years, you got $4,000 and then $8,000. And at the end of 30 years, you've got what? You've got $24,000. I mean, I'm sorry, $16,000. Do you see the difference? What you had versus what you can have? There's a $25,000 difference between the two. And the only difference is, is getting on the correct side of interest. God doesn't want you to be a slave to the lender. God blesses you with jobs and finances, not so you can just give it away to some bank. God wants you to be wise. So you need to borrow very carefully. Okay? First, okay, I'm going to spend conservatively. I'm going to borrow carefully. Third thing is this. Number three is this. Jot this down. I need to save continually. I need to be saving money continually. Solomon puts it this way in Proverbs chapter 6. He says, look at nature. Specifically, look at the ant. Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. It prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. You go, what's going on there? Well, the ant, you know what the ant does? The ant gathers up food during the harvest time. Why? For the coming winter. The ant is wise enough to go, you know what? Um, winter's coming. We better store up food because whenever the cold days come, we're not going to be able to store up food then. It's crazy. I think ants are sometimes smarter than us. And so you go, well, what way do we need to save money? Well, at least two ways. First of all, jot this down. You need to save for a rainy day. You need to save up money for a rainy day. Because things are going to get tough. Jesus said, in this world you're going to have tribulation. Storms of life are going to hit you. You go, well, like what? Well, your car can break down. Or your child gets sick. Or you know what? Another government shutdown and you're, you don't have employment for three or four weeks, right? I mean, it's sad. But that's what pe people live paycheck to paycheck, and they don't plan for a rainy day. And if you don't plan for a rainy day, when it comes, you're going to get soaked. There's also bills that you know are coming, right? I mean, Christmas always comes. Rather than putting on a credit card, why don't you save up for Christmas? You're going to take that vacation. Rather than, you know, um, putting that vacation on a credit card, why don't you save up for that vacation? We had four kids. Four kids, want them to go to school, don't want them to take out student loans. I better save up to help them with that. Do you understand how that works? You plan ahead. That's saving for a rainy day. But also, what do you do? You save for a retirement day. A retirement day. Hate, hate to break the news to you. You're going to get old. You are. And, and as much, you know what, I hope that I can work till the day that I die, but I know this, I'm not going to be able to work at the same pace and the same level that I am right now. There's going to come a day whenever I'm going to need to retire. And I hope Social Security is still going to be around, but we know that's not going to be enough. Health costs are going up, we're living longer, and so you better have saved some money to set aside for a future retirement day. That's just common sense, right? You go, well, how do you do that? 
Well, you know what? If you just take $5 a day, $5 a day, I mean, whatever you spend on that latte at Starbucks or someplace else, right? $5 that you waste a day, and you take that $5 and you put it in an IRA every year. Do you know what happens after 30 years, $5 a day? It adds up to $250,000 at the end of 30 years. That's crazy, isn't it? And yet, that's the simple principle. That's getting on the correct side of interest. That's saving money rather than giving money away to the bank. And so, what is God's principles for money? Okay, spend conservatively, borrow very carefully, save continually. But there's one final principle, and it's this. You need to give consistently. You need to give consistently. You give a portion of your income to God's kingdom and his work. Notice how this is written in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 says this. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know, what does it mean to honor God with your possessions or first fruits? Well, the Bible calls that a tithe. The first 10% of your income belongs to the Lord. You see that in the Old Testament, before the law, during the law, after the law, in the New Testament. It's a general principle. The tithe, the first 10% of your income, belongs to God. Look how it's written. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. 10% of everything you harvest is holy and belongs to the Lord. The prophet Malachi said, whenever you spend the 10%, the tithe, on yourself, you're robbing God. Now, some of you may go, okay, Pastor Tony, you know what? You blew it. Up until this point, this was very helpful, but you bring up this whole tithing thing. I just, you know, I don't like, you know, giving my money away to, you know, the, the church. Well, you know, whenever you talk like that, what that actually does is reveal what's going on in your heart. See, you really think that the money that you have is yours rather than the Lord's. Look at how Jesus puts it. Jesus says your money reveals your heart. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, your giving reveals your heart, who you're really devoted to, your stuff or to the Lord. You go, well, how do you know that? Well, let me just illustrate it like this. Suppose that right now in the church parking lot, there is somebody out there with a nail. And he is scratching a six-inch long scratch on the driver's side door of every car here. For some of you, just hearing that, you got a nosebleed, right? I mean, goodness gracious, you turn pale. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. That would be a disaster. Oh, my goodness, that would be a disaster if that happened. Yeah. For some of you go, ah, that'd be a drag, but it'd probably match the door on the other side, right? And that's sort of the way you think it. Now, what's the difference between that event being a disaster versus, oh, that's a drag? Well, it all depends on how much that car has your heart. You see, that really reveals your heart. What are you most devoted to? What do you love the most? And whenever you can give a tithe to the Lord, it is your way of saying, God, first fruits, here it is, first thing, it's yours, it belongs to you. It puts everything else in perspective. But here's the amazing thing. God says, if you do that by faith, I'm going to bless the other 90%. 
that you'll be more blessed with the 90% than you ever could have been on the whole 100%. In fact, look at the promise in Proverbs. It says this, what? Your barns will be filled and your vats will be overflowing. In a farming society, what does that mean? That's the blessings of God. God promises, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you won't even be able to contain. That's why all five, all four of these principles are critical, but this may be the most critical. Why? Because when you give what is God's, the tithe, it's almost like when you do that by faith, you've invited God into your finances. I don't know about you, I want God invited in my finances. I want him messing with my finances. I want him working in and through my finances. And let me illustrate it like this. Suppose you knew billionaire Warren Buffett, right? He's worth $80 billion. He's considered the most successful investor in the world. And if you knew him, let's just say he came to you and said, hey, would you like me to uh, manage your money? What would you do? You'd go, yes, here it is. Take it, use it, spend it, invest it, whatever you think. I trust Warren Buffett with my money. Right? You would. You'd be crazy not to. Well, can I tell you something? There's somebody greater than Warren Buffett that gives you a promise. The God of the universe, the one who knows everything about you, he's the one who's in control of any bear market or bull market. He says, if you will trust me with a tithe, I will get involved in your finances, and I will take care of your needs, and I will bless you financially. That's what God says. Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given unto you. Philippians 4, 19, the apostle Paul said, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God promised that. God said that. And that's why the tithe is so important. You go, well, why would God bless us for giving a tithe? Because God is all about his glory. And the advancement of his name and his fame and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if he sees somebody who is giving to his kingdom, God says, okay, I'm going to bless that person. Why? So that we can get rich? No, so that we can give more to the kingdom of God. I love the way that millionaire R.G. Letourneau once put it. He was asked, how is it that you get, are able to give away so much money? This is what he said. He says, I shovel the money out. And God shovels it in, back. But God has a bigger shovel. I love that. And can I tell you something? God will not be a debtor to anybody. And if you trust God and you believe God and you give to God's kingdom, God's not a debtor to you. God will bless you. He will provide for you. So those are the four principles of finances found in the Bible. You need to do all four of them. You don't leave any of them out. All four of them are necessary to experience God's blessings in your finances. Now, if you're going to follow these four, then you need to have at least three financial budgeting goals. The first is this. It's called the 80-10-10 rule. Experts basically come up with this number, and they say this, that you need to spend less than 80% of your income on yourself. That's the 80%. You do not go over 80% on spending money on yourself. Second, you spend at least 10% of your budget on, you know, savings and retirement and those type of things. You start off with the rainy fund, and then you move to the retirement fund. You save. And then you give 10% to the kingdom of God. 
It's the 80-10-10 rule. That's the beginning place, right? Obviously, it can change. Hopefully, you'll spend less than 80% on yourself and be able to give away even more. But that's the beginning place of financial blessing and freedom. And you know what I've decided? I will follow God's plan. You know what? I have followed that plan for 30-plus years. And I'm here today to tell you, it works. It works. It works. And for the next 30 years, I'm going to continue following God's plan. Will you? Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the Connect Card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus' final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.